0: Well, it has been a uh, good week for football. Uh, you know, when you can watch the Hawkeyes win and Minnesota helps them. and it, uh, It's been a good week for me. I am thankful for that. Uh, we'll see how this Sunday goes. It always makes me a little bit nervous, but here we are. Well, we're going to do something a little bit different uh, today. As you can see, we're going to take a break from our sermon series in the book of Matthew. And we're going to look at Psalm 100 this morning. A sermon titled, Praising God with Thankful Hearts. And I want to talk a little bit about Thanksgiving. Now, I'm a history nerd, so you're going to just have to bear with me and and just kind of try to enjoy what I enjoy for one minute. Uh, History, the history of Thanksgiving in America is actually really interesting. Who remembers the story of the pilgrims? You went to school? You read anyone? Okay, most people. I was like, what are the schools teaching nowadays? (laughs) So pilgrims, right? We know the story of the pilgrims. 1621, they came here to establish a colony. What you probably didn't get taught in school was they were uh, Puritans who wanted to worship God and freedom. And so they came to America. They had a really difficult time in Europe, came here, really treacherous journey. Governor William Bradford... Endured immense hardship amongst pretty much all of them. He lost his wife on the way here. Other people were lost. Uh, You had uh, famine, disease, death, uh, long journey at sea, difficult trials, tribulations like you couldn't imagine. Yet they come to America, and after they've endured all this hardship and tragedy, they were filled with thanksgiving. In 1623, uh, Governor Bradford issued a proclamation that there would be a day of thanksgiving. And in his proclamation, part of it he declared, and listen to this language, "...in as much as the Great Father has given us this year, amidst all that hardship, this year, an abundant of harvest of Indian corn, wheat, peas, beans, squash, and garden vegetables, and has made the forest to abound with game," and the sea with fish and clams, and inasmuch as he has protected us, has spared us from pestilence and disease, has granted us freedom to worship God according to the dictates on our conscience. Thanksgiving amidst difficulty. On the basis of that, he proclaimed November 25th, 1623, as a day in which he said, quote, for rendering Thanksgiving to the Almighty God for all of his blessings. This is how our nation started, with difficulty yet thanksgiving. By the way, don't let anyone ever tell you that this nation was founded by Christians who believed in the Almighty God. That's revisionist history. That is who it was founded by. And it's carried forward, 1863. We see Abraham Lincoln uh, proclaim a national day of thanksgiving on the fourth Tuesday in November. Remember, civil war, difficulties, trials, hardship, he said this, he said, No human counsel has devised, nor hath any mortal hand worked out these great things. They are the gracious gifts of the Most High God, who while dealing with us in anger for our sins, hath nevertheless remembered mercy. Difficulty, hardship, yet thanksgiving. Two examples. Now, we face difficulty and hardship. Economic uncertainty, political strife, pandemic realities. Some of you have lost people you love in the past couple of years. Difficulties. Yet, I think we've seen from those in our past that we can be thankful for. And that's what we're going to look at with Psalm 100, which was sung all the way back by God's Old Testament people in a time of immense difficulty. Yet they rejoiced and gave thanksgiving to God. So let's look at Psalm 100 this morning. I'm going to read it. Um, If you want to turn to it in your pew Bible, um, it is going to be on page 597. If you want to open your regular Bible uh, to Psalm 100, I am going to be putting up verses as we kind of work through it. But there is something, I think, powerful about opening the Word of God together and reading it if we can. So Psalm 100. The psalmist says this in Psalm 100, verse 1. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates of thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is God. Is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Psalm 100 is a psalm that has been read and sung and lifted up to God's, by God's people to God for thousands of years. This psalm right here, a psalm beloved by God's people. I just want to do a little history on this just as we get into so we know the context. We do not know who wrote Psalm 100. There is no author given. It doesn't matter. It is God's word. But we do know the purpose of Psalm 100. Psalm 100 was written and was more than likely sung by God's people as they entered into the temple to worship God in praise. And it was probably even sung during a feast day as they entered to celebrate what God had done for them throughout the year. It's also an interesting psalm because it is both a psalm of thanksgiving and a psalm of praise, and those don't always typically go together. Psalm 100 has a chiastic structure, and I'll explain to you what this means. Many of your psalms have this in the, uh, that are in the Psalter. And so they're structured in this kind of A-B-A-B formula, which is Psalm 100. So we're going to see in Psalm 100, an A, it's a call to give thanks in verses 1 and 2. Then we're going to see B, they celebrate the covenant of God. Then in verse 4, it's a call to give thanks again. And B, to celebrate the, the covenant of the Lord again in verse 5. So we're going to see this structure, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to break it down into uh, 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 two points. So we're going to look at two points this morning that break this down so it's a little bit easier to track with. The first thing I want to look at is the reason we have to give thanks to God. The reason to give thanks to God, and then we will see how we should respond to God with thanksgiving and praise. So first, let's look at the reasons, reasons why the psalmist tells us that we are to give thanks to God. He gives us a plethora of reasons in the psalm, not everything. Everything. Um, this is a short psalm, but there's a lot packed in it. And the intention is to turn our hearts to God in praise. And by the way, we're, we're looking at a God who is, who is infinitely higher than us, yet condescends to us to have relationship with us. And that's going to be the focus of the psalmist this morning. So one, the psalmist starts out and says, we should worship the Lord because Yahweh, God, is the only true God. He is the only true God. We should praise Him because of that. He is the King and Lord of all creation. Verse 3 says this, Know that the Lord, He is God. Know that the Lord, He is God. Now, this is a pop quiz. How have we done with this throughout human history? What do you guys think? Have you read your Old Testament? How do, how, do we do, how do the people of God do in the Old Testament eighty twenty, 80, 20 <laughs> maybe a c minus right not there 's some struggles with that in the Old Testament when this was written there 's been struggles with that with us in our own hearts. The truth is is we 've not always known that the Lord is God and, and worshiped Him. We see examples if you read your Old Testament throughout the Old Testament of, of israel god 's chosen people continually turning away from the Lord and worshiping other gods and ignoring God Yahweh. The prophet Isaiah says this, and this is God speaking, and I love Isaiah because it's straight to the point and there's a lot of sarcasm and I'm kind of a sarcastic person so I kind of appreciate Isaiah. And God speaking through the prophet Isaiah says this, All who fashion idols are nothing and the things they delight in do not profit. Their witnesses... Neither see, these idols, they don't see, that they are going to be put to shame. Who fashions a god or casts an idol that is profitable for nothing? Behold, all his companions shall be put to shame, and the craftsmen are only human. Let them all assemble them, let them stand forth. They shall be terrified. They shall be put to shame together." God, or Isaiah, is using this language of, of what Israel had been doing. They have been fashioning these, these false gods and ignoring and not worshiping Yahweh, not knowing that He is the Lord and He is God. Now, I have never made an idol. Most of you have not made an idol either. But we too... Make idols in our lives, and we don't know that the Lord, he is God, and don't give him the proper worship that he is due. We we worship other things instead. We worship things like, like money, a career, marriage, children, uh, our status in the community, and we don't worship God, and we need a reminder, I think, this morning, to gaze upon God and his goodness and his glory and his greatness turn away from from what we've been worshiping or what we've been putting in front of God in our lives maybe and just worship and look at the glory and beauty of God. That's what we're going to do this morning. That's what the psalmist is going to do. The second thing he's going to tell us is that God has, we should worship him because he has made us his own. He's made us his own. We belong to him. The psalmist says this. It says, it is he who has made us, and we are his. We are his people, and the sheep of his pasture. God, if you look at scripture, God has created everything, but when he talks about humans, there is an intimacy there that there's not with the other creation. You go back to Genesis, and how does God make Adam? He intimately forms him together. He intimately makes us. The psalmist in Psalm 139, 13 through 15 says this. This is God speaking, for I for, for you formed my inmost parts. You knitted me together in my mom, mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. We should worship God because He created us in love and in care. He he knits us together in our mother's wombs. But the psalmist goes even deeper in his language. He doesn't just make us, but He claims us as well. He says that we are His people, despite our sin, despite our mistakes, that we are His people and the sheep Of his pasture. Intimate language. He doesn't just simply form us. But he tenderly cares for us. Because we are his. We are his sheep. The sheep of his pasture. The psalmist is tapping into this great language I talked about last week. Throughout the Old Testament of God as shepherd. And we as his flock. Certainly the psalmist probably had Psalm 23 in mind when the psalmist explains this great shepherd who we talked about last week is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So God knows us, makes us, forms us, and we belong to him, so we should should worship him. The third reason we're going to see we should worship him, the psalmist is going to tell us, is he's good. God is good. We should praise God because of his character. And the psalmist is going to say, namely, his steadfast love and faithfulness, which are on display from generation to generation. Verse 5, it says that the Lord is good. He's not just kind of good. He's not just a little bit good. The very essence of God is goodness. He is wholly good. There's no evil that exists in him. He is just simply good. And his steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness from generation to generation. This is the nature of God the psalmist is getting at. And the psalmist says he's good, namely because of his steadfast love endures forever. Now, we probably don't catch this here, but in English we see love... And what he's using, he's using a very special Hebrew word for love that is tied into God's covenant relationship. Now, it is a fun word to say because you've got to kind of beforehand. And I want you to say it with me. It's chesed. Can you say chesed? Chesed. Say it one more time. Oh, you guys are good. Now you will remember that. This is God's chesed love, his covenant-keeping love. And it is an amazing kind of love because it's tied into the character of God that leads him to keep his covenant with his people solely through his own power and might and ability and completely in spite of our sinful rebellion. God loves us. God makes a covenant with his people out of love, chesed love, even though we don't deserve it. He keeps his covenant solely in his own power. We do nothing on our part. It's God's chesed love and his character that he keeps His covenant to us. God makes the covenant and he upholds it. We see this all the way back. It's hinted at in the garden when Adam and Eve fall, when someone's going to crush the serpent's head. We see it renewed in Genesis 15 where God comes on the scene and he talks to Abraham and he says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a mighty nation. I'm going to do all these things. I will not fail you. And Abraham had done nothing to deserve it. Nothing. The psalmist keys in here on God's chesed love and his kindness, reminding us of who our God is. He perfectly keeps his love from generation to generation. The psalmist tells us this chesed love endures forever. Now, certainly the person who wrote this had great reason to praise God. He had experienced God's covenant made to Abraham, God's covenant made to David. He had seen God's blessing poured out in Israel. But what I want to say to you this morning, how much more do we have to be thankful for? On the other side of the cross, how much more do we have to be thankful for? We've seen God's Hesed in full-fledged action. We've seen it pinnacle, its peak, we've seen God's faithfulness, what he's been promised to from generation to generation to keep his covenant, come about in the Lord Jesus we're this side of the cross, they had much to be thankful for, we have even more to be thankful for, we've seen the glory of the Lord, the Messiah the chosen one, the person that had been hinted at throughout the Old Testament God taking on human flesh to save his people Brothers and sisters, just pause with me here for for, for a minute. Sinful humanity in the manger laid their eyes on God. On God. Jesus, God, taken on human flesh. They saw God. The disciples who Jesus interacted with saw God, the glory of the Lord, their salvation, Eye to eye, they touched him, they laughed with him, they spent time with him, they ate with him, they slept by him, they walked with him. It should blow our minds. Jesus, the beauty of that, how God, Yahweh, God the Father, has been faithful to us. We have experiences too. We haven't seen Jesus, but we have what he's done written for us. So in some ways, we've seen it, we've experienced it. We know that the shed blood of Christ is for sins, We know that we are reconciled with God through Jesus, the Messiah's life, death, resurrection, and ascension. We've experienced God's covenant, this chesed love, in a way that the psalmist couldn't even imagine. Oh, how faithful God is to us. How good He is to us. He is so good. He showered us with His love. Even though we don't, we deserve it. And because of this, we must rejoice. We must sing God's praises because Yahweh is God. He has made us his own and he is good. And we've seen that in Jesus Christ. Because of that, we must respond to God's goodness as the psalmist is going to tell us. Because of who God is, there must be a response inside of you. The first thing the psalmist says is we are to make a joyful noise to the Lord. I uh, make a joyful noise to the Lord, and it is more of a noise. Um, I'm not a very good singer, but I do like to sing, much to my wife's chagrin at times, and very loudly. The psalmist is going to tell us, make a joyful noise to the Lord. He says this in verse 1. He says, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. In the second half of of 2, he clarifies, come into his presence with singing. Notice here, this is a command. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. This is an imperative verb. It's a command for us to joyfully praise God. Also notice here, who is supposed to praise God? Everyone, all of the earth, this is a command, this is an evangelistic, it's pointing to every person should praise God with a joyful noise. And I think it's also an invitation to come and praise God with a joyful noise. Yahweh, the true God. The second part, come into His presence with singing. Our God is good. We must make a joyful noise. We should be compelled to sing praise and thanksgiving to God when we think about his goodness. This is, by the way, part of what we do on Sunday mornings, why we come, because our God is good. We come and we make a joyful noise. Some of us better than others, but God loves all of it. We sing praises to God with joy and thanksgiving because of how good he is, amen? Amen. So let us continually gather together and praise our deserving God. However, I think we can make a joyful noise outside of here, outside of our Sunday gathering. You can sing God's praises in the car when you drive to work. As loud as you can, no one else can hear you. It's a beautiful thing besides God. You can do family worship, gather together as a family, read some scripture, sing a hymn or two, make a joyful noise to the Lord as a family. We must do it because our God is great. By the way, just a side note, have you ever noticed, maybe this is me, when you're feeling kind of crabby, sometimes I'm feeling kind of crabby, maybe I'm the only one, but I get a little crabby from time to time, and I sing to God, a joy, make a joyful noise, it's hard to be crabby when you're praising God. In fact, I've noticed in my own life, sometimes I'm crabby, and I sing some praise to God, and lo and behold, I'm not crabby anymore. It's true. Praising God completely changes our mood. I leave here Sunday morning spending time with you guys, praising God with joy and thanksgiving. Man, I'm tired, but I am happy. It is a beautiful thing. So we must praise God with our voices, lifting them up to Him. Secondly, we're going to see that we can offer service to God. We can offer service to God. The psalmist says this, serve the Lord with gladness in verse 2, the first part of verse 2. Now, As I stated in the beginning, this psalm was written, it's a temple psalm, people entering the temple of God. So in my opinion, this idea of serving the Lord with with gladness is directed at, in the Old Testament, serving the Lord in the temple, assisting God's people in worshiping God uh, to assist them and facilitate them to do that at their best. We take that into our context, this is how can you serve the Lord with gladness in the local church, so that we can worship God at our best? How can we praise Him? What what can you do that you can use your spiritual gifting to step out in this context and serve the Lord with gladness so we can rejoice in God's goodness each Sunday morning? Lastly, we're going to see is a call to draw near to God in thanksgiving and praise. Verse 4 says this, Enter into his gates of thanksgiving and his courts of praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Language here of entering into the temple, the gates, the courts. You see all this here? That's what the psalmist is talking about. Back then, God was everywhere. God is always everywhere. He's omnipotent, omnipresent. But they had to go worship God at the temple. That was what God commanded. The, the presence of the Lord in a special way dwelt in the Holy of Holies, this inner room in the temple, and they had to go by camel or walk a long journey to go and worship the Lord in His presence. This side of the cross, and by the way, they had to sacrifice a bunch of animals for their sins, even to be able to come into the presence of a holy God. Once again, we have so much more to be thankful for. We have entered into the presence of Jesus through the shed blood of Christ, Christ's covenant, once and for all. It's done with. And we necessarily don't have to go anywhere because the Spirit of God dwells in our hearts. Now, as I said, we certainly must gather on the Lord's Day as we are commanded, but we have a unique opportunity that the people of the Old Testament did. We can praise God with thanksgiving every hour of every day, 365 days a year, because the very presence of God dwells in your heart if you are a Christian. You can praise God anytime you want. That is is a true joy and something that should be reflected on. Over thousands of years, God's people have turned to this psalm, Psalm 100, for hope. As well as refocusing on God's goodness to his people, even in the most trying of times. They've turned to Psalm 100. Today, I hope that we, in our time of difficulty, turn and look at Psalm 100, which takes us and reflects God's image back to us. The past two plus years have been a challenge. They've been difficult. I'm not going to say they haven't. That's just, that's reality. Yet, God is good. Yet, God is amazing. Just as a psalmist called Israel to praise God because of his goodness, it calls us in the New Testament to praise God with thanksgiving and joyful hearts. And even more so, since we have experienced the risen Christ, the tool of God's salvation, we have experienced the sweetness of the shed blood of Christ, the penalty for our sin. Oh, our, our hearts, every time we think of God, should, should burst with joy, should burst with thanksgiving, just as our ancestors did on the Mayflower. So I want to give you just three practical ways, as I always try to be practical in my sermon, of how we can, we can do this in our daily lives. First one is this. Offer God praise with thankful hearts. It's obvious, but we must do it. We're, we're post-Thanksgiving. Let's take time each day just to remember and reflect on the goodness of God. Just to remember and reflect on the goodness of God. Take time with your families. Just, just savor the sweetness of the Lord Jesus. Reflect on the cross. Reflect on God's chesed covenant-keeping love to you, and let that lead to your hearts overflowing with gratitude, which then gets turned to God in a deluge of joyful praise to the Lord. Secondly, let's point others to God so that they can offer Him praise, which is what we are meant to do as human beings. The psalmist calls the nations to come to praise and worship the only true God, just as Israel. And I believe that we too can encourage people to turn to God, to worship Him, and we can do this through our joy and thanksgiving and how we live our lives. Joy is contagious. If you've been around that person that's filled with joy, it's contagious. And I I believe that if we live a joy-filled, thankful life, it will be part of the way we can draw people into Christ so that they will worship God as they should and find their ultimate joy. The Westminster Catechism in Question and Answer uh, 1 says this, What is the chief end of man? And the answer is to glorify God forever. Let that be our aim and let that point us point others to that reality as well. Thirdly is this, how can you serve the Lord with joy at First Baptist and assist in us worshiping God? Psalm 100 calls the hearers to participate and help with the worship of the Lord. In the context of the psalm, this is the temple. And in our context, it is the congregation of the Lord. So my question for you this morning, what spiritual gifts and ability do you have? That you can assist us and help us to serve and worship the Lord with gladness and joy and thanksgiving and give him the worship that he deserves. We will be better at worshiping God the more you use your spiritual gifts to do that. That that can be simple things as as uh, helping to lead worship on Sunday, uh, helping with tech, uh, being an usher or a greeter. Maybe it's leading Sunday school. But my encouragement to you this morning, if you are not serving, how can you use what the gifts god has given you to help us to give god the worship and praise he deserves god is good he deserves all of our worship and praise every day and i, and I pray that as we leave this place that you turn your hearts towards god you see his goodness and it leads you to joyful and thankful praise for who he is let's go to the lord in prayer heavenly father God, we think of your goodness and how that goodness should, must lead us to praise you with joy, with thanksgiving. God, especially in the season of Advent, we think think of your goodness in your Son, the second person of the Trinity, God taking on human flesh and dwelling among us. The salvation of the Lord in human flesh for our sin restoration with God the Father, even though we've been living in rebellion against you. Yet you loved us in your Hesed love, that you made a way for us to have relationship with you that lasts from generation to generation, just as you have promised long ago. God, help us to understand your goodness. Help us to understand how deserving you are of our praise and joy and thanksgiving. And may we as a people continually turn our hearts to you and praise you with everything that we have. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.